Welcome to the Joyful Educational Leadership Podcast, a podcast for school and district leaders who want to wake up and be excited to go to work, ensure that teachers are happy, students are joyful, and parents are engaged and make a positive difference in the lives of those they serve. Your host, Dr. Donna Marie Cozine, will share tips, tricks, and proven strategies to increase joy in your staff, students, and yourself. Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 1 of Joyful Educational Leadership. Today with me is my very good friend, Duncan Kirkwood, and I want to tell you a little bit about Duncan. I met Duncan, I don't know, five, maybe six years ago, and he's just an amazing person, and I wanted to share him with you, and, and he's a person who is always looking at things from the bright side. So I want to hear what he has to say today. So let me tell you a little bit about Duncan. First Lieutenant Duncan Kirkwood is a veteran, father of three beautiful children, and recognized as an authority on psychological resilience. He has spent his professional life working to empower young people, educators, organizations, and communities. His mission is to ensure everyone can learn the critical tools to become the most resilient and best version of themselves. But more importantly, Duncan is an amazing human being. I have seen him go above and beyond to help children and help the community year after year. And he has come to my school numerous times to speak. And I always say, if you haven't had a chance to hear Duncan speak, you must, because he takes you to church every time. And currently he is all over the country, all over the world, actually. I think you're going to Singapore? Singapore next month all over the world talking about resilience. So welcome, Duncan. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So Duncan, tell us a little bit about how you started this resilience journey. Yeah. Okay. This. How, how much time do we got? Like an hour? We got some time? Oh, about, about 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Okay. I'm trying to see how deep to go here. Like, okay. All right. So what happened was I was graduated from college. I was the student body president. I was like the man on campus, 3.4, which is good, not amazing, but it was good as student government president. And I got ready to graduate. I'm applying for all of these jobs in public relations. Uh, that's what I got my degree in public relations. And I applied to 42 public relation firms and I got 42 rejection letters. And, and I, because they all wanted you to have the degree and three to five years experience. So I said, I'm not going back to Buffalo to live in my mom's basement. Right. That's not, that, that's not gonna happen. So I joined the Army. I said, so in January of 2008, five months before my graduation, I enlisted in the Alabama Army National Guard because I knew they'd at least pay for my master's degree. So I graduated in May of 2008. And in June, I was headed to boot camp. So I was in Army uh, for a couple of years and I was getting my master's degree and I joined ROTC and I became an officer, first lieutenant. And what happened was in 2012, we, for the first time, had more soldiers die from suicide then die in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan. So the army, it was like a, a huge turning point for the military. So they really ramped up. They already had these suicide prevention programs and resilience programs, but they really ramped them up. And I was part of that. So they trained me to be a master resilience trainer. So I would go to different, yep. I want to ask a question about that. Is it true that a veteran dies every 27 minutes in the U.S.? <laughs> yes. Of, um, of suicide? Yeah, so... Yes, if you include the entire military. So current soldiers and veterans, yes, it is a, a very, very bad problem. And yeah. like I said, in 2012, we're really hit the height. Yeah. Um, it, is, uh, it is very sad. Yeah. But in addition to it's terrible and it's sad, you can't sustain a fighting force that way. So that's why they were like, we got to stop this, right? So right. 
really ramped up the program. So I started training soldiers to be more resilient, mentally tough, mentally agile. Fast forward, I got out the army and I'm like, man, that training will be good for the everyday person. But I kind of put it down. You know, you have an idea and you got something like, oh, I'll get back to it. You keep kicking it down the road on your to-do list. Well, I end up running for public office. And part of that journey, I had to quit my job, politics, whatever. So I had to quit my job to run for office and I lost. Right? I mean, I, I gave it everything I had and I lost. And then for the first time, I didn't have a job or a plan or anything. Like I just was. And so I said, you know what? This is that time I've always needed to write my book. So I wrote a book on resilience called Rerouting Resilience Tools and Tactics, uh, which is now a bestselling, uh, bestseller, and uh, published it in March of 2020. And then the pandemic hit <laughs> and it canceled my book launch and it canceled all my conferences I was going to speak at. Uh, but what we found about three months into the pandemic was that people actually needed resilience more than ever. They were feeling more isolated, more depressed. Suicide has reached decade, decades long highs across all ages, all races, all socioeconomic levels. So people started asking me to come speak about the book and about resilience more and more. And it just kept going and snowballing. And so now it's to the point where, you know, I'm literally traveling five to seven times a month to different states, to schools and colleges and banks and corporations to really train people to build up these skills about resilience. So first off, this would be a great time to give a shout out to your lovely wife, being that you're traveling so much. And, and I do know that she is the uh, wind beneath your wings. So you are very blessed with your wife. But so one thing that I read your book, I love your book. I recommend his book to everyone here. It's a very easy read. It's very easy to relate to the book. And there are lessons and exercises and things in there to try. Tell me a little bit about how would you actually define resilience to a fifth grader, which you do. You talk to kids at all grade levels. So how do you explain what resilience is and why resilience is important? So first thing I would say is resilience is your ability to bounce back. And I, for, for, for everybody, I use the metaphor of like an egg and a tennis ball. And when you have a setback, you drop both of them. That's a setback. And we all have setbacks. The egg is going to crack. The tennis ball is going to bounce back. Resilience is your ability to bounce back and be more like that tennis ball. So it's, it's really building that internal grit and really changing how we see failure. See, the problem it, to me, one of the biggest problems is that failure is demonized. Mm -hmm. right? you, we, so it, we're so afraid to fail that we don't even give our full effort. We don't even try our best. And when we do, we feel less than, we feel insecure. That imposter syndrome gets even bigger in our lives. Whereas what successful people understand is that failure is actually part of the journey, right? It's not something to avoid. It's like riding a bike. You have to fall to find the balance. So falling is part of learning how to ride the bike. It's not something separate. And that's really how failure in life is. So when I talk to little kids, I use like the Green Lantern. There's like this comic book character, the Green Lantern. He's got like the green ring and he makes stuff out of his energy. That energy is willpower. And so the villain, the main villain, they use a yellow ring and it's the power of fear. So they have this big comic book, you know, good versus evil battle. But the point of the, the story is that the willpower has to be stronger than your fear. You can't win unless your willpower is stronger, but you control that. And so that's how I explain it to smaller kids. And they get it, right? Mm -hmm, absolutely. So as much as a smaller kid can get Of it. course. You know, we hear a lot about trauma-informed practices in schools and trauma-informed teaching. And I remember somebody said to me when I was first kind of really getting into it in my school a couple of years ago, someone said to me, you know, trauma is a terrible thing for children. However, through trauma, they grow adversity. 
Mm. I'm sorry, through adversity, they grow resilience. So talk with me a little bit about how, when you grow your resilience, how that helps you become even more joyful. As you are resilient, do you become more joyful, more happy? What do, what do you think is the relationship between being resilient or growing your resilience and having a happy life and being joyful? Don't, we don't got enough time for <laughs> all of it. I have to um, bring you back. Man, okay, so so first, yes. The more resilient you are, the more joy you get in life. It's like, here's the easiest way I can explain it. If you work really hard, I spent most of my life working hard to get good at the rat race of life, right? Like I've worked, I mean, I've done everything, the internships, all of the hard work. Like I've just done everything possible to get good at the rat race. And we all do that. Get the degrees, get the certifications, you know, make content, do all, like we're just doing everything we can. But at the end of the day, no matter how good you do, you're still a rat. <laughs> right. right. So at a certain point, like, and this is where I get earthy and like metaphysical and all of that stuff, is like you have to understand there's more to existing than acquiring stuff and titles and roles, right? And the more you kind of tune into that, who you really are on the inside, that value that you have on the inside, what makes you unique, what makes you special, the more you connect to that, it builds your resilience and it makes you better at the rat race. It's weird. It's like the, the, the less you care, of, of tie, not care, the less you tie your value to stuff and things, the actually more you, you get and acquire because you don't have that same connection to it where you're always like more, more. I'm not good enough. I don't know if I can do it. I'm scared. Like once you know who you are, like once you like really in your soul know, like I am, you know, this being with my essence and my soul, I'm connected to something greater. I'm, you know, whether people put that in religion or spirituality or whatever, however they put it, the more you connect to that higher piece of yourself, that consciousness behind the thoughts, behind the actions, behind the emotions that's really in control, the more you are just like washed over with joy. Like things don't even hit you the same no more. Like, oh, a setback. And you're like, I guess I learned something from that. Like it doesn't even break you the same. Like I'll give you a personal example. Today, I had to move. I had to dig my car out. I just got back in town from Illinois. I've gone for like four or five days. I had to shovel my car out, hurry up, get in the car, go pick up both my daughters from school. Right. When I get back, I didn't want to park in the same spot because it's all this snow and I hadn't got to really shovel it off. So I parked in front of my neighbor's house, like close to their fire hydrant. And one of my neighbors calls three calls three one one and reports me like reports me to the city to like get a ticket because, you know, I parked too close to the fire hydrant or something. Right. But, you know, of course, the city people all know me. So they call me. But anyway, the point was I could have got really angry. Like there's the old me would have lashed out and I would have held on to that stress and tension in my body. Right. And because of that, it would have eroded the rest of my evening. I wouldn't have been able to come here with you with joy and levity and energy. Right. Because I'd be holding on to that tension. But because I'm resilient, I know that I'm more than a ticket or what the neighbor thinks or whatever. It doesn't affect me the same. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll move it. Well, I move the car when I move it. (laughs) I'm not even worried about it. Right. And now because I'm not wearing that that heavy energy of negativity, I can be the best version of myself here for you and your listeners. You are so right. And and there are so many things that you said in the last five minutes that I want to go into deeply. One is that we're afraid of failure. And for those of you who are just, you know, logging in or listening to us for the first time, I left my full-time gig as a CEO of a charter school that I created. And I didn't leave because of the work. I left because of family commitment. I wanted to be more available to my daughter who was going to middle school. And trying to launch your own business is a lot of failure. 
And I keep hearing people say to me, every no gets you closer to a yes, right? So every failure gets you closer to a success. And it's a mind shift because I think it's almost like society, society almost programs us to, you know, only successful people. Oh, yeah, but you don't see all of the failure that they got to get to success. I think it was Kobe Bryant said something like that. He said something like, you don't see all the 4 a.m. practices. You see the, you know, the, the basketball game, but you don't see all the times that I'm up at 4 a.m. and I'm practicing from four and, until whatever. How do you explain that to the students that, because I know you, you work with kids from elementary school through college. And of course you also do this with adults, but because most of my listeners are, are going to be educators, how do you help children understand that risk-taking is important, not being afraid to fail? You know, failure is the first, what's it called? First attempt in learning. How do you do that for, for students? So for the sm- first, for smaller, smaller kids, you celebrate people trying, mm. celebrate people failing, but they tried, right? Like not failing because I didn't try and do my work, but like I tried my best and I didn't achieve it. Or we learned a new thing and which I'm teaching a new lesson in math. And, you know, Jane Doe raises her hand and she tries to answer the question and she is just wrong as all get out, but she's trying, right? Mm-hmm. Celebrate her like, oh, Jane, way to lead from the front, way to give it a shot, Jane. Right. OK, you tell me, you know, and you make it like it's exciting, like, oh, Jane is getting rewarded and praised just for trying. And she got it wrong. So now they want to try because now that you're removing that stigma and shame for being wrong or failing for upper school kids, I use personal story. I would say for your educators, it's really important that they share their personal journey and be as vulnerable and transparent as possible about their failures. So when I do talks for for students, I talk about how in high school I I applied to Fredonia and they rejected me. I, I applied to Oswego and they rejected me. And I ended up going to a college in Alabama. But because... I, I didn't go to those schools. If I had gone to Fredonia or Oswego, I'd be coming home every weekend. Mom, can you wash my clothes? Dad, can I have some money? But because I had to go all the way to Alabama, I had to learn how to grow up and I thrived. But I didn't know that was going to be good for me when I was being rejected and I felt less than and I was embarrassed and my friends were all getting accepted. So for the kids, they need to hear what it feels like to be rejected and keep going. So, so, so I take them all the way into the moment. I was wearing this and somebody said that, like, I go all in. And I give another example of times I failed and another. And so they start to say, oh, he's super successful. And he's at all of these failures, all like setback, failure, setback, failure. And they're like, oh, I can too. And they start to see because there's like a connection. So for educators, take a day. And don't do nothing but just build connection through your personal journey, your vulnerability, your insecurities, yourself. Tell the kids that when you get up in front of the class, you're nervous. Like, be that vulnerable. Like, first day of class, just so you guys know, I'm nervous to be standing here in front of you. So please engage with me so I know you're you're learning. Kids will say, oh, okay, I got you. Sure. Right. But that vulnerability makes it like when they're vulnerable, they're nervous for their first day. It's not abnormal. They're not the only person who's nervous or who's scared. No, my teacher's scared. My favorite teacher gets nervous. My favorite principal gets nervous. My parents get nervous. It's okay to be nervous because they still move forward. So I kind of like do that through connection. And for, for adults who are listening, who may be thinking for their own personal resilience, I'm a professional speaker. This is what I do full time. For every one college that says yes, there are 80 colleges that either ignore my email or say no thank you. 
So, right, so, so every week I've got 100 to 200 emails going out to colleges. One school said, one college says yes. Then on LinkedIn, every week I can send 140 requests. So I do 140 LinkedIn requests every week. Maybe I get three responses. So that's two gigs, right? So one from LinkedIn, one from the email outreach. Then I get, let's say I get one from previous customers that referred me. So I get three gigs out of one week of work, but I get over 300 rejections. But all you see on social is Duncan's in Illinois, Duncan's at North Georgia. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, you're doing such a great job. But the, I'm almost used to the rejection. You know, I was like, oh, school, you're not interested. I'm not even mad. And we're, oh, thank you so much for replying. Have an amazing day, school, you know, because it's just part of the journey. You know what I mean? Sorry for the long answer. I'm a speaker. You brought me on. You know. No, I love that. I love that. And I think one of the things that you talked about, and you didn't actually say the words, but it's all relationships. Mm-hmm. And with children and with adults, you can get more bang for your buck if you just invest in relationships. You know, like why did kids, you know, when I was an assistant principal, the kids called me the cozenator because, I, you know, assistant principal does all of the discipline and stuff. And, but it actually became a, a term of endearment, you know, and they were like, hey, the cozenator and type of thing. But why is that? Because we built relationships. And when you build relationships with people and you, you can show them those things about you that, you are vulnerable or whatever. That's what really makes a difference. When I was going to school, and I don't know, I mean, I'm older than you are, but when I started teaching, let's say 1994, I was a a seventh and eighth grade social studies teacher. And I remember this woman who was no longer with us, she passed, but her name was uh, Senora Lichman. She was this tiny little Jewish lady who taught Spanish. And I just had a lot of respect for her, but she said something to me that I didn't agree with. And she said, don't smile until Christmas. And I was like, Mm, that's not who I am. And one day I remember it was the very first day of school, my phone rang and it, I had a new department chair and I answered it was seven o'clock in the morning. And she said, um, hi, Donna. I said, yes. And she said, it's so-and-so. And I said, how can I help you? She's like, well, I was reviewing your lesson plans and I see that you're spending three days on community building. I don't think you should do that. I think you should get right into the curriculum. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I said to her, well, I, I disagree. I'm going to spend three days on community building because that enables me to make connections with my kids and moving forward. So like the old guard of teachers didn't see the value in that. But so much now is saying like, if you don't have relationships with your kids, nothing is going to happen. But also as leaders, if you don't have relationships with your people, like my people would know that I would jump in front of a bus for them and they would jump in front of a bus for me proverbial bus. You know what I mean? Like, because it's those relationship things. And I I think that a lot of it comes down to those relationships. Who do you think hears your message and does things faster? Do you think kids tend to build a resiliency faster when you, they work, when you work with them? Cause I know you also work with groups and colleges and things like that, or do adults like take what you say and and move more quickly or, or does it not, not matter? So it's definitely uh, college students. So college students and maybe high school seniors from at-risk communities. So any college student or high school junior seniors from at-risk communities, because the way I go through it, the connections that we're making in those moments, a lot of those students, they're having such anxiety and fear. They never had somebody tell them they can do it. They've never had somebody walk them through mentally what it feels like to overcome setbacks and adversity to get to their goal and beyond. 
Uh, and it's it's like beautiful. Like in the moment, like college students cry. Like when I'm when we're talking, there's like these joyful tears every time I speak to college students because there's like this emotional breakthrough. They're like, ah, like they just can feel it, and they can, and it's so it's this powerful connection. Like sometimes I get I try to keep it together because I can't get emotional with them when I'm speaking, but I try to keep it together. But like it's just so powerful. So kind of, and then the, uh, at risk students from and and high schools, they also have this this moment where it's like, hey, he made it. He came from where I came from. You know, he went through challenges. I'm going through family challenges. Maybe I can make something of myself. Like, I never really thought about my future. Like, I could do something. So, like, those, I would say, but the middle school students, you know, they're more energy. For them, you're just trying to get them enough shot of espresso, a couple things to remember. They can remember when they go through hard times, you know, that type of thing. But I, I would say overall, when I deal with adults, it's ego. When I talk about yeah. I do a whole workshop on ego for yes. adults, yes. that's where they have the aha moments. That's where they're like, oh, because we work so hard as adults and professionals to get the degrees, to get the titles, to get the certificates that we almost want to put our value in our jobs and in those titles. But your value doesn't come from there. Right. You walked away from your job. You're not a principal anymore, but you're still you. You're, you know what I mean? You're, you're still you. That didn't change because your title changed. So if you're the teacher of the year, that's awesome. But if you're just a teacher who's just struggling to work with your classroom management, you're giving it everything you got, but you're working as hard as you can, your value isn't less than the teacher of the year or the principal or the school board member. What makes you you is not connected to your life situation, your things and titles and roles. So get the titles, get the PhDs, get the great jobs, buy the nice house, but know that who you are is not tied to those things. So like for adults, that's the that's the conversation I'm having. And it's hard. Some of them is hard to accept that, you know, but we get there. Well, it is. I think it's like an American thing. I mean, I would love to see studies from other countries because in America we work. Wait, how does it we live to work? And in other countries, they work just to live. Right. So we're always in this country, you know, going pedal to the metal. You know, even now, although I'm not working full time, I feel like I need to be. I need to work in full time, you know, but I'm not. And it's great because I was able to volunteer at my son's school today. And if, you know, my daughter needs me or whatever, but I think it's society really impacts us, you know, and, and when we try and do things differently from societal norms and what you're saying is not what society values, society values that society values people with degrees, society values influencers who have all these people, you know what I mean? Like, all of that stuff. So it is a hard change. I don't want to tell people, don't do those things. Don't get, no. I'm not devaluing the hard work. Listen, if you got a PhD, I couldn't do it. You know what I mean? So I, I'm not devaluing that, right? What I'm saying is, if I took you, PhD person, person with the half million dollar home or million dollar home, whatever, and I put you in the woods for 14 days, we lived in the forest for 14 days. Your kids aren't there, so you're not parenting. You're not at work, so your title doesn't mean nothing. We don't got no computers, so nobody cares about your doctorate or your degrees. We're in the woods for 14 days. Are you still you? I'm going to be me, but I'm going to be hungry because I don't know how to hunt. We don't have the food food for you. But the point I'm saying is you're still you. Right. Those titles, you take all of that away, you're still you. And probably the better version of you, if we're being honest, once we turn on social networking and stop comparing ourselves to everybody else's life situation, not even their life, just the highlights that they post, right? It's unhealthy that we've got so dependent on crowdsourcing our self-esteem, right? Who we are has got to come from the inside. 
I want to, I want you to know, Duncan, in case people don't tell you this, that you actually have a gift and I want everyone to know this. And I'm going to share all of Duncan's information on the podcast and on my list, because even the very first time that I met you, you even made me believe I could be more than I already was. I remember you saying to me, we need a voice for Rochester charter schools and it could be you. And I like believed it. You're like, you could be Eva Moskowitz, right? You're like, you could be the the Western New York Eva Moskowitz. I was like, I can. And then I was like, wait a minute, she gets death threats. I'm not sure I want that. But you really have a gift in making people see more. You have a gift in letting people see who they are through someone's eyes who really believes in them. And you're also gifted. You're, you're a gifted speaker. You are so passionate about your community where you live and any community that you service. So you, you are a gift to me as a friend and you're a gift to this world for sure. Last year, you presented virtually to my graduating class and even the virtual one, as he's talking, all my parents are like, yeah, uh uh-huh. Yep. mm -hmm." I just, it's always like going to church with Duncan, but you said something that I want you to talk about in your speech. Um, and my director of arts and technology looked at me. She's like, that's so great. You said, and I loved it. You're like, you need to live your life like a GPS. Now, wait, I want to, I just want to repeat what you said, because I loved it. You're like, you know, if you make the wrong turn, the GPS doesn't start crying, you know? And that was like a perfect example for middle school kids. So I know that's your thing, like live your life like a GPS. So can you tell our, our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, I was talking, you know, how sometimes you're just giving a speech and you say something, and you're like, oh, that was good. So so that's actually why I titled my book, Rerouting, mm-hmm. right? Because I, that's the spirit I want. When you put your route in a GPS, everybody, you put, I want to be successful. I want to get the PhD. I want to do whatever. I want my classroom to be the best class in the school, right? If there's traffic, if, there, if, you're, if the, your car breaks down, you make a wrong turn, the GPS just says rerouting. It doesn't get on social media and start subliminally posting about people, right? It doesn't lash out at the husband. It just says rerouting. And as long as you're willing to keep moving forward, it'll chart you a course to get there. And here's the other piece. The GPS doesn't give you every step of the journey. It doesn't say a 300 feet turn left and six miles turn right, make a U-turn of 60 feet. It doesn't do that. It just says in 300 feet turn left. All you have to focus on is the next step, Right. And you do that with everything you got, with total presence and joy in your heart. And then when you do, the view changes. Then you get the next step. You may not know how you're going to become the teacher of the year in New York State next year. You might not know that. But you do know that for you to get on that journey, you're going to first have to spend a little extra time engaging your students. Mm-hmm. You have to spend a little extra time building relationships with parents. You know that right now. So that's part of having the best class in the school which eventually will get you the best class in the city, which eventually will get you recommended to have the you know teacher of the year. And so the point is just take the next step and be bold enough, even in the face of uncertainty, in the face of COVID, in the face of asynchronous, synchronous, in the face of remote, in the face of vaccinated, not vaccinated, masks, no mask, in the face of all these challenges, be bold enough to take the first step with everything you got. Like this step is really important. And then the next step. And then the next step. And then what you'll find is you've come a long way. You've made real progress. And on the way, you've enjoyed the journey, right? Because the the joy of life is the journey, not the destination, right? You don't look up one day and you're like 78 years old. You're like, man, now I'm happy. That's not how it works. You got to be happy the whole way. And so, 
you got to find that joy. Yeah. And I'm wearing a shirt that says choose joy. I had a, I had a couple of these made for my podcast because I truly believe you can choose misery or you can choose joy and choose, just choose joy because we know what misery brings. Now, you know, of course there are situations where it's not so easy right away to choose joy, but really if you have, if you can do it, just choose the joyful path as opposed to the path that's going to, you know, lead to misery. How do people get in touch with you, Duncan? And I'm going to ask my wrap up question, but first of all, I highly recommend Duncan to you as a speaker to come to your school, no matter what age grade, you know, age range you work with, he's outstanding. He gets my seal of approval, whatever that is worth. So Duncan, how do people get in touch with you if they want to know more about what you do? Yeah, they can reach me on my website. It's just my name, DuncanKirkwood.com. All the social networks is just Duncan Kirkwood. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, just type in Duncan Kirkwood. The first good looking black dude that comes up, that's me. All right. So just there you go. All the social networks on the website is Duncan Kirkwood. And yeah, I really appreciate you having me on here. This has been a great conversation. You've been a great friend to me. It's rare that you meet. It's it's hard as an adult to meet good friends, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can connect to their energy, where you can be real, real and authentic. You know, like that's, you know, I remember for that graduation speech, I said, what should I wear? Because I didn't get a chance to go put a suit on today. So oh, that's right, I right. wear what I got on. I got like a branded t-shirt. You said, Duncan, it wouldn't be right if you didn't come as your authentic self. And I said, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Do you, boo? (laughs) So here is, um, and thank you for that, because I feel feel that too. I'm so thankful for your friendship. And I keep saying we have to get our families together at Darien Lake. But so I'm going to ask you two questions. One is, do you remember your first joyful memory? And what was the most joyful thing that's happened to you in the last week or the last day? Yeah. So my first, first joyful memory was when I was like six, uh, my best friend and I, we loved hanging out. He lived like five, six houses down. Right. Like we would play together every day. Like we, and we lived in the hood. So we didn't have like lots of toys and stuff. We would just go outside and just find stuff to do. And one day we was, we, our parents made us go to sleep, like come in the house, go to sleep. And so the next morning, we both, as soon as we woke up, we got dressed and we ran outside. And we, no, we didn't call each other nothing. And we met outside. Like, we both were looking for the other one, you know. And it was just brought me so much joy. I just really, that was a vivid memory. So I just I really remember that. And then most recently, the thing that has brought me the most joy. So about 100 people from a Buffalo community donated 100 copies of my book on resilience to inmates at the Erie County Holding Center. It's like our jail here. And... So the sheriff made sure the books got into the jails and everything like that. And I got a message on Facebook two days ago from an inmate in the holding center who said, I'm reading your book. It's changing my whole outlook on life. Thank you so much for getting this book in here. Now, you might be thinking, when did inmates get Facebook? Because that was my first thought. (laughs) I didn't even think of that. (laughs) But then uh, I'm sure he was sneaking. Right. But then it just really like warmed my heart. Like, yes, this is why I do this. This is why I wrote this book. Like this was the the vision that I had when I started the process. And it's like, it just, it really gave me some joy to like say, yeah, somebody's reading it. It's helping some. Like it just made me feel so good. And that's really a beautiful story because having read the book and going through it, I could see it could help anybody, but I could certainly see somebody who's in jail who probably is feeling 
down about themselves, like, man, you know, and, and really wanting to change your life to use that book. So yeah, you're, you are a gift and your message is a gift and what you do is a gift. So I thank you so much for sharing today with us, uh, duncankirkwood.com. Check them out. Highly recommended. You will not be, um, disappointed. You'll be like DMC. Thank you so much for recommending him. And, uh, if he sends out 300 next week, you know, maybe he just gets one or two, but soon he's going to send out 300 and get about a hundred. So you want to get him now before he's, you can't book him at all. So thanks Duncan. And, you know, I look forward to chatting some more with you. Awesome. Thanks so much. This has been another edition of the joyful educational leadership podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes and share it with friends and colleagues. If you'd like to join our mailing list, please go to www.joyfuleducationalleadership.com where you can learn more about how you can become the joyful leader you were meant to be. 